0: It is great to see you. Thank you so much for being here this morning, and we are continuing a series we've been in for a few weeks now, Guardrails, in the fourth week. And when we get started, as we get started this morning, I want to ask you some questions to get you to think about these questions. There's some questions I've been thinking about. They've been kind of haunting me a little bit, so I'm going to share them with you and let you just kind of think about it in your own life, your own context. Here's the first one. Have you ever wondered, you ever wonder what you would want or what you would have if you didn't know what everybody else has? If you didn't know what anybody else has, do you think it would change what you would want and what you would have in your life? Here's another one. You ever wonder, you ever wonder how much more money you would have saved, like over your lifetime, if you weren't aware of all the other things there were to spend it on? to spend your money. You are unaware of all the other things you could spend your money on. Do you think you would have saved more money over your lifetime? Hmm, okay, here's the last one. Ever wonder how much more generous you would have been to those who have less than you if you weren't aware of what others have and all the things there were to spend your money on? What do you think you would have done differently? How do you think you would have lived differently? And if I can be totally honest and just confessional this morning... When I think about this for myself personally, it's a struggle because, and I'm gonna again, here's a, here's a little confession with you, and I wanna get you to think about it in your own context. But my problem is I know too much about what you have and what I don't have. Is that relatable? Does anybody relate to that? Okay? We live in a culture where we're constantly showing everybody what else we have, right? We, we all know what everybody else has, and we share that. Quite openly and honestly, and and quite honestly, because of this, it makes me dangerously discontent. It makes you dangerously discontent. It makes our culture dangerously discontent. Constantly wanting the next thing, the newest, latest, and greatest constantly. And we see other people with it. We really want it. We've got a culture that is constantly luring us closer and closer to the edge of financial bondage into financial ruin because we're constantly wanting to buy whatever that next thing is. And it's feeding an appetite in our heart that will never be fully and totally satisfied and full. Have you noticed this? doesn't matter how much new stuff you have. You always want some more new stuff, right? It doesn't matter how nice and how new and how... Just give it a little time and you'll want to replace it. It's, it's just constantly a constant pull on us. And that without guardrails, as we've been talking about over the last several weeks, we will easily, like there's just easily pulled over the edge financially in our life and get ourselves into debt that we feel like, Almost insurmountable. We don't know how we're ever going to get out of it. Like it's so much, and so this is why we're going to talk about this today. This guardrail of finances. We've been talking about guardrails. You already know what guardrails are. Guardrails are simply designed to help keep us from straying into dangerous areas. The guardrails are there to keep us from killing ourselves. They really are. They do two things really well. They help to guide and. Uh, they help to direct and protect us. They, ha- they help us to stay in the area that we need to be. And one of the things that we always do with guardrails is that we always put them in the safety zone, not in the danger zone. There's always a margin between the guardrail and the danger zone. Nobody argues the logic of putting that uh, guardrail right there. Everybody knows that's the way you ought to do it. And there's such transferable intelligence and wisdom behind this in every area of life. And, and uh, what's interesting about guardrails is that they, are, they exist to minimize damage. In other words, when you hit a guardrail, yeah, there's a little bit of damage, but it is minimal compared to what it would have been if the guardrail hadn't been there, right? You go off the cliff, off the bridge, into oncoming traffic, much higher stakes than just hitting a guardrail, And this kind of just stands to reason, this is why we need guardrails, not just on our roadways, we need it in every area of our lives. This is why God over and over says, guard yourself against, guard your heart against, guard yourself against. Why? Because people easily fall off of cliffs all the time in this life and regret it and live with this regret. And and I bet every, every one of you here can think back on a regret that could have been avoided, if you or maybe somebody else in your life had just had some guardrails relationally, financially, sexually, and professionally in their life, could have been totally avoided. And so this is why we're talking about guardrails, because the purpose of a guardrail is just to be a warning light to your conscience before before we hurt others that we love and ourselves before we do that. And when we talk about hurt, there's no place where people seem to struggle and have hurt and frustration over more than money and finances. It's still the number one cause of divorce in this country. It is the thing that people find themselves struggling over and having anxiety over and worrying over constantly over and over and over throughout their adult life. And this is why today, as we talk about this, this this guardrail of finances... I want you just to be open to say, God, what would you have me to do? Now, just to be clear, we're not going to talk about how to reduce your credit card debt and how to um, avoid bankruptcy. That's for another class. That's our Financial Peace University. We get down in the nuts and bolts of how to to put a budget together and all that kind of stuff and encourage you to take that if you have never done that before. But today, we're going to talk about something a little different, some other principles that Jesus taught. Because what we're going to talk about today, you could be totally debt-free. You could have money in the bank, lots of money in the bank, and totally drive off the cliff financially, according to what Jesus is saying. This is what Jesus had to say about this issue of money and finances. Let's just start here with Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 24. This is right in the middle of one of Jesus' most famous sermons he ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount outside of the city of Capernaum. And here's what he had to say. If you would, let's read the highlighted words together. He says, No one can serve two masters, that's right. No one can serve two masters. To which I would say, maybe you would say is, that's cool because I don't even have one master, Jesus. I mean, you got the wrong guy, right? would you say that? Like, I am not have masters. I don't have a master. Well, let's define what master is, okay? The word master from its Greek root means curios or Lord, the one in charge by possession or ownership. In other words, Jesus is saying, You may not even realize it, but you got an owner. You have a possession. You have something that is calling the shots in your life that owns and possesses you. It might be just whatever your whim is. It might be you. It might be whatever the latest thing is. It might be somebody else. Who knows what it is, but there is something, someone in your life that is a master to you. And he goes on to say this. Let me explain something about masters. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Devoted to one, despise the other. In other words, he's saying, listen, let me just tell you something that is uh, an unchanging rule, undeniable rule of the universe. You cannot serve two masters. You can't do it. You can't do it, it's impossible. It's like trying to follow two guides who are going in two different directions. This is why in the New Testament even, we're told not to be unequally yoked when it comes to marriage, when it comes to partnerships. Don't don't try to yoke yourself or to connect or commit yourself together with somebody who is going in a totally different direction, who is serving a different master than you are. Because you you will constantly feel this tearing away of the fabric of your relationship. It is going to be very, very, one of the two of you is going to have to give up their master, in other words. He's saying that you cannot serve two masters. One of them is going to get mad because they're going to feel like you've cheated on them with the other one. In other words, adoration for one master feeds contempt for the other. It's like trying to date two people at the same time right in front of the other person, He says it's impossible without getting some irate, very upset, mad people. Unless, of course, you're on The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, okay? (laughs) Then it's fine. Nobody gets jealous or angry on that show, right? That's why you watch, okay? That's why people tune in. Anyway, but this is the idea. Jesus is saying it's in us to not want that division, and you are going to be, it's going to be a crazy maker in your life if you try to follow two, because you will find yourself being loyal to one over the other, and it's going to be very, very difficult. And he he ends by saying this, you'll be devoted to one, despise the other, you cannot serve both, let's say together, cannot serve both God and Money. In other words, here's what Jesus is saying. let put it very plainly. For Jesus' followers, and Jesus' message was to people who are interested in being a part of his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. He continued to come back. He says, The kingdom of God's like this, the kingdom of heaven's like this. Let me help you to understand if you want to be a citizen of this kingdom, you want to be a follower of me, there is a very different priority list, there's a different way to live. It's radically different than the world that you live in, and it is better. It's so much better. But on the onset, it's going to feel really weird. But I want to encourage you to embrace it. For Jesus says, for Jesus' followers, the number one issue regarding money is mastery. In other words, do we have money or does money have us? Are we managing it, or is it managing us? Are we calling the shots on it? or is it calling the shots on us? Do we feel like we're just constantly serving money? Or are you making your money serve you? Jesus is saying, "This may sound like we're splitting hairs here, but this is a radically different way to live. If you've ever been on one end of the episode, uh, on one end of, the, uh, of the, the pendulum from the other, it's huge how different it is. It's huge. And let me just tell you, living as a servant to money, having it as your master is not all, I'm not going to completely take all the responsibility off of you and I, but I'm just going to say, it's not all entirely your fault. We live in a culture that is constantly baiting us, that is constantly luring us to have more, encouraging us to have more and more, and you need to purchase more and have more, and if you could just have this, your life would be better, and your family would be happier, and everybody get along if you could just have, and you could be more connected, and it sounds so great, and if you just make more money and have more stuff, it would all solve itself. The problems would go away. I wish it worked like that. It just doesn't. But we live in a culture that constantly does it. It baits us to the point where we don't even know it when we've gone over the edge of selfishness and greed because it's just the current of culture. It's just pulling us downstream, and we think, well, this is what everybody else is doing. It must be okay. This is even what a lot of other Christian people are doing. it must be all right. We should just keep going. So, let me give you a new definition for the word greed that I think could be very helpful to you. Greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. Whatever comes to me must be for me. Whatever, any raise or any amount that I make, I need to consume all or more than I make. That's the way most Americans, that's sort of like the American way to approach finances, all right? I'm just telling you. It may not be the philosophy that we tell each other, but it's the one that we functionally in our behavior adopt. It's the way most people in this country live, okay? Whether they call themselves Christians or not, they live up to or beyond their income constantly. And I have a feeling that it's most of us in this room. We constantly do that. And what Jesus is trying to help us to see is like, look, look, I, I want to help free you from this. I want you to see that that life is more than the abundance of your possessions. It's it's more important than what you think is going to satisfy you. As a matter of fact, there were two brothers that came to Jesus, and they were arguing over an inheritance. Their father had passed away, and now they're so furious and inflamed with anger over the, the money that their dad had left them, that they're about to lose this friendship. The love and the unity of the family is about to get sacrificed on the altar of money, okay? And like, so their kids are probably not going to grow up being friends and everything else ugly, and they're bringing this to Jesus. Jesus, make my brother give me the money that is owed to me. No, make him give me what's owed to me. Here's what Jesus says to these two brothers. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your, let's say this nice and loud, be on your guard, like put a guardrail here, man, okay? This is where you need one. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Jesus is showing us there are many roads to the destination called greed, to that city. You can come from lots of different names. There's a lot of different reasons why you might come to this conclusion that it's all for my consumption. Regardless of how you get there, put a guardrail against that all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Like, stop believing happiness, joy, security, like, your, your uh, status in this life, the appearance in the eyes of other people, how they see you as successful or like you're, you've got it together, you've got it made because of what you, how you dress, how you look, what you drive, where you live, whatever. He says, stop thinking like that. That is a dead-end street. That does not work. What you think you're going to find there, it's not there. Stop adopting a lifestyle where you don't need God, in other words, Because he's not even a part of that worldview, Until you get in a crisis, until you get in trouble, and then, oh man, we're quick to say, God, I need you right now. I need you. Well, does God forgive that kind of greed? Of course he does. But what he's going to say to you in that moment is, the reason you're in this mess is because you chose the wrong master. You've been following the wrong master. Life does not consist of what money promises and it promises all kinds of stuff that it's going to make everything better and you're going to finally feel secure and everything's going to be taken care of. And I'm not saying that a little money can't solve some of your problems, but I'm just saying that God is the one who supplies. He is the one who richly supplies the things that we need most to begin to put faith and trust in him rather than those items, those things that were told, that were sold in this community or in our culture that seem to promise happiness that never bring it. So how do you know if you're being mastered by money? Let's talk about this. I'm going to give you a one, two, three. How do you know if you've fallen into this rut, into this trap? Here's the first one. That we live we live on all or almost all that we make. That's, that's the first step, that you know you're being mastered. Number two is that you save, but... Usually not much. Or maybe you don't save hardly anything. It's just kind of almost by accident if you save. And then finally, number three, if you give, it's only the leftovers, which means whatever you give, it's just kind of the bare bones minimum. It's just kind of like whatever's left over. I always think about leftovers in the kitchen or in the refrigerator from last night's meal. You have somebody come over that you love and respect, you don't drag out the cold stuff from last night, right? You don't give them the leftovers. And Jesus, in other words, is saying, listen, be so careful because some of you, without even realizing, are giving God the nasty leftovers you're not giving in first place in your heart. Let's talk about that a little bit. Money will always compete for first place in your life, always. This does not mean it has to win, but Jesus is saying, you know, he could have put anything in there that no one can serve God and atheism, God and the devil, God and evil, God and... He could have put anything there, but he picked the number one competitor. For your heart and for mine. The number one thing that we're apt to gravitate towards and give mastery of our heart to money and what it can promise, possessions. He's saying, Watch out. Like this is an area like never before, you need a guardrail. You need to put a guardrail. Guard yourself all, against all kinds of greed. Because you, you'll start believing the lie. It's a deception that if I could just have, if I could just own, if I could just get to a certain income level, then all my problems, I would just be so much better off. He says, it's a lie. It's so important for us to begin to understand what he actually promised. And he says, listen, I don't want you to be a slave I don't want you to be a slave to your things. I don't want you to be a slave to debt. I want you to have things and not have your things have you. And Jesus says, if that's in fact what you really want, let me show you how to get there. Again, there's another conversation that he has. And all throughout the New Testament, really, this is supporting a theme that Jesus taught over and over and over. That his kingdom, his kingdom is an others first, me second kingdom. Others first, me second. Others first, you second. That's what he taught over and over and over. So, as you might imagine, one day when he catches his disciples arguing over who's going to be first in the kingdom of God among the 12 of them, like who's going to get to sit next to Jesus, who's going to be most important, who's going to, and they get in a big, like, argument over this. And Jesus is like, whoa, 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 time. Okay, (laughs) I think we've missed something really important here. Mark chapter 10, verse 42, here's what Jesus says. He says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, what do they do? They lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. In other words, you know how these godless leaders of your day that are out there in the culture that have bought into the lie, that they leverage their authority and their position all for them. It's it's for them to make themselves wealthy. It's for them to make themselves look good. It's for them to look successful. It's for them to make other people think well of them. He says they leverage it. You see how they do that? They use it all for them. It's very selfish the way they live. He says, so I'm like, this is a natural default setting for human beings, like people in general, because of sin being present in the world. This is part of the the sin curse that people want to do this. And I love how he begins the next verse, verse 43. Three, he says this. He says, "Not so with, with you." Let's say it a little about a little bit louder. Not so with you. That's right. He said, "Yeah, that's the way these guys operate. This is the way that this is the worldview they have adopted. But not so with you, my followers, my people, citizens of the kingdom of heaven. You're going to follow me. Different worldview, different priority list. Totally different." He says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become, let's say it together, become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave to all. Jesus is saying, I'm going to flip this thing on its head. I'm going to flip. The kingdom of heaven is all about learning how to put others first, you second that you live your life to serve others. And guess what? You will find such joy and satisfaction and blessing from becoming a blessing to others. It is a marvelous, amazing way to live. You will find that it fits perfectly this human heart that God gave you. It feels so good when you begin to serve and you help and you make somebody's day, you make their life, you help them out, you bless them. This only happens when you have margin in your time, in your money, in your energies, so that you can give that away to make a difference in the life of other people. And Jesus saying, and I'm not telling you to do something I didn't do. This is the way I love you. This is the way I have served. He ends this this passage by saying this. He says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, ransom was a financial term that meant the amount that was required to free a slave from slavery. He says, you don't even know it, but you're in slavery to sin. And a part of that sin is that you are being made to be a slave to money, what it can buy, Purchasing things, owning things, possessions, don't you become a slave to that master. It will bleed every bit of joy out of your life, and it will turn your family against you. It will hurt you. It will turn your back on God. It will make you bitter and angry and lonely to your last day. Don't live like that. Jesus is saying, follow me. you see what I did? Jesus says, I laid my life down. My life. I gave everything everything to ransom you, to buy you back, buy your freedom so that you don't have to live like that anymore, ever again. I want you to be free. It comes down to your choice. And and going back to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus said this, and I, I love how he lays this out. He says, but seek... First, again, he's talking about first things. First, like prioritize your life around this. Make your decisions around this. This should be first, like I want this at the top of the list. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. All these things are like all the other stuff that you think you need. All the other stuff that you think, like this doesn't mean that you're going to get everything, You every whim you've ever had But Jesus is saying, God has got your back. He's going to take care of you. When you start first and foremost, you start when you get paid, you start the first thing that gets paid is that you take a percentage and you give it to God. It is a, it's evidence of your devotion to God's others first, me second kingdom. I'm putting other people first. I'm going to give towards the things of God so that people's lives are impacted. Jesus is saying, that's, "That's what I did. I'm just asking you to do what I have done." And I remember even going all the way back to my childhood when I was about 12 years old, my daddy sat me down right when I started working for him at his sign company in Austin, Texas, and he says, "Well, I want you to learn something really important that God taught me the hard way. that I want you to take 10 percent off the top of your paycheck, and I want you to give that to God and give it at church." to the body of Christ, to the bride of Christ, to support what God is doing locally. The, the church that's made a difference in our life, made a difference in our community, we should be giving to that. And I was, man, that's tough, because I want a new bike, real bad, Dad, and I don't want to really, those people are gonna be fine down there, like, I need a bike, you know? And so I had all these arguments, and, but I followed his lead, he's my dad, I, I looked up to him, and so I started doing it. It became a habit in my life. And then my younger brother, John, he did the same thing began to follow this model. And still to this day, Leslie and I give a percentage right off the top of every paycheck to the Lord. And I know John, my brother John, is the same thing. And I want to show you a picture. It's one of my favorite pictures. This was back when our signage all over our building was brand new. All of our signage was done by Lewis Signs out of Austin. As you might imagine, we got a sweet deal, okay, um, (laughs) on those signs. But I love this picture because to most people, they might see, oh, this is just some random crane truck from some shine shop in Austin, and it's sitting in front of the church. But this represents two organizations run by two men who were the sons of Bill Lewis. And my brother continues to run that business, putting Jesus first, because of what my dad poured into him. This place would not be what it is today if my dad hadn't taught me what he did. He passed away in 2002 from cancer, but his legacy lives on in us down to this day. God will use you. I'm telling you, there's some moms and dads in this room, granddads, grandmas, aunts, uncles that need to, while you still have time, to pour into some young lives. Put God first. Put him first in everything. If you will start by putting him first in your finances, almost everything else is easier than that. It's always the last thing we give to God, isn't it? It's the hardest thing. It's the place where we most need guardrails because greed and selfishness feels so justified in the context of the world that we live in. But I'm telling you today, it's so important because God promises that when you start first with him, that all these other things he'll take care of too. He will add all those other things in due time. It's beautiful to see how God has blessed this over and over and over. Even you sitting here in this room, I can trace it all the way back to my daddy's obedience. To one day saying, you know what? We're going to put God first in our finances. It changed his life. It changed my life. And now God's using it to change yours. It's him. It ain't me. I always want you to know that today. It's so important for us to begin to set our lives up so that we're free in this area. You don't have to be in bondage to it ever again. So here's how we establish guardrails against greed, okay? Simple, one, two, three. Number one, give a percentage off the top and give it first to a church. It doesn't even have to be Brothers Fellowship. I don't care. Give it to the body of Christ somewhere, right? And this is why, like I said, Leslie and I give a tithe or 10% off the top. And I just encourage you to do that. If you feel like, well, 10% is just way too much for me. It scares me to death. Start with 2%, 5%. Start somewhere, but be intentional. A percentage, I'm going to give it away to help others. Others first, me second. This is just us reinforcing God's kingdom here on earth. But giving it away to the bride of Christ, the church. So important. Number two, you need to save. Save a percentage. Save for the future. Your kids need... You to save for the future. Even Proverbs says, notice the little ant as it stores up for winter. Notice how it is preparing for the future. It's so important. It's important that we plan for the future. Now don't make everything about saving and just stockpiling and hoarding. That's not what he's talking about here. But save. It's okay. Save. And then finally, live on the rest. Live on the rest. You see what this does? It forces us to be disciplined, to live on less than we make, so that you have margin to give, to save, and to live. This forces us to have to have guardrails to say, we're going to stop consuming every dime we make around here. That is just dumb. That's not that's not living well. That's not living wise. That's not living in a way that honors God. It's not the way He created us and designed us to live. It's so important today to begin to consider how you, God wants you to change in this area. God does not want something from you, he wants something for you. He wants to help set you free. I want you to see that today. So here's the question I want to ask you, get you to think about as we close up. Can you honestly say that God that God not money is your master? Can you honestly say that? So here's a test question I want to get you to think about. Which one Which one occupies more of your thoughts, time, and efforts? And if that's not convicting, I don't know what else I could put on the screen, okay? That has been so convicting to me because I have failed this test many, many times. And I I have to keep coming back to, God, no, I trust in you, not in my money. I'm not trusting how much we have in the bank. I'm going to trust in you. And God has over and over and over come through taking care of this place, this church, our family, our church family, it's beautiful to see how God says, I got you. All these other things as well. Put me first. Seek first my kingdom, my righteousness. I got you. Beautiful. Here's the application prayer I'm asking you to pray with me today. It's simply saying, Jesus, help me to establish financial guardrails. And here's how we're going to do it. First, giving a percentage to the church. Second, saving a percentage. Third, living on the rest. I want to guard against money becoming my master by seeking first your kingdom and your righteousness today. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, Visit us at brazzesfellowship.com. That's brazzesfellowship.com.